Welcome into another edition of the Wisports.net podcast. I'm Travis Wilson, general manager at Wisports.net, and your host for the WSN podcast. Today on the WSN podcast, we're going to have a conversation, have a recap, have a some analysis of the big news from the WIAA earlier this week. As Wednesday at the annual meeting, the members of the association passed the competitive balance plan, something that's been talked about for many, many years, something that has been... Um, you know, topics and, and proposals and petitions have been brought forward going back eight, 10 years ago. And finally, there is something. Um, I don't think it's something that everybody was completely happy with, but it is something. And uh, we're going to break that down, break down some of the other news and info from the annual meeting, talk a little bit about also uh, just briefly touch on the board of control meeting that was held on Tuesday. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be a WI focused day on the WSN podcast. Hey, let's help save lives on Wisconsin roads. The life you save might just be yours. Make the commitment to yourself and passengers that are with you by buckling up and putting the phone down every trip, every time. To find out more, take the pledge at wisconsindot.gov. You can also gain the athletic advantage of B3 Science's BFR training. See the results of your strength or performance training, exercise or rehab in less time. Trusted by a growing list of professional teams like the Milwaukee Brewers, Kansas City Chiefs, and U.S. Olympic teams that include USA Volleyball, USA Weightlifting, USA Track and Field. Contact Dr. Ken Otto, B3, BFR Certified Coach, and visit drken.b3sciences.com. Well, let's, uh, let's get to evaluation, analysis, discussion of the competitive balance plan passed by the WIAA at the annual meeting. Let's start with a, a little bit of a history lesson, and, and we've talked about this before. We talked about it a little bit on last week's podcast when we had Mel Dow from the WIAA on to preview the vote, to preview the annual meeting, and to preview this particular plan. But again, let's rewind and let's uh, let's take a step back down uh, down memory lane and, and just go through kind of the history of competitive equity. It starts way back in 2000 when the former WISA schools, the private schools, joined the WIAA back in 2000. And there was significant discussion and you know, uh, plans of, of how that would work. How, how would the private schools come in to the WIAA? And ultimately, they came in just as regular schools. There was no adjustment to enrollments. There was no there was no anything. They, they uh, came in with the same rules, with the same uh, everything as the public schools. Um, you know, there was, there was some uncertainty back then, and this was certainly before my time. I was in college at the time, and, you know, it wasn't something on my radar by any means. Um, you know, when I was in high school in the late 90s, we didn't hardly really think about the private schools or even that the private schools and the public schools were separated. I, I probably couldn't even have told you that was the case when I was in high school. But, um, you know, there was uncertainty when, when the private schools came in, just how that would impact the, the WIAA. Would they come in and dominate? Would they come in and get dominated? Um, you know, there was, it was kind of up in the air. And uh, certainly some private schools came in and had success early on. Then there was kind of a tide there mid-2000s when some of the private schools really started to assert their dominance in, in some different sports. 
I think about Racine St. Catharines in boys basketball, Dominican boy, uh, boys basketball. St. Mary Springs had a great amount of success in uh, in football. We saw Catholic Central, um, you know, do some uh, do some things and and you know get pretty deep in the playoffs in football in a smaller division. And it was just a, a kind of a, a rolling tide, and there was a sense among some of the the public schools that uh, it was unfair and. You know, there was there was always talk about, you know, how that should work, how it did work, what should happen with it, and um, ultimately nothing really came of of those discussions, and nothing came of, you know, the debate about private schools for a long time until 2014, when after years of uh, of frustration and inaction uh, that they felt by the WIAA and the rest of the member schools. There was a group of schools led by schools from the Six Rivers Conference in Southwest Wisconsin that uh, put together a petition, which is one of the ways that you can advance constitutional amendments to the annual meeting, uh, that put together a petition that would have applied a 1.65 multiplier to all private schools in all sports. Uh, to get the petition and uh, on the annual meeting, all they needed was signatures from 10% of the member schools, which they achieved. I want to say they had... 75 or 80 schools that signed that petition well above the threshold to uh, to get it on the annual meeting. And so that proposal then, by the petition process, was placed on the uh, WIAA annual meeting agenda for 2014. We did a bunch of analysis of you know what it would do and, and the impact of that multiplier on, on specifically football and basketball. There was a lot of debate and discussion. It was a very controversial time. You know, the WIA Board of Control, you know, sent out a letter on it and identifying some of the concerns they had. There was uh, discussion all around the state. It was a big, big uh, topic of discussion. And at the annual meeting in 2014, I was there. One of the most chaotic uh, annual meetings that I can remember. It, 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 absolutely the most chaotic annual meeting that I have, have been a part of. Um, a lot of debate, a lot of impassioned debate. There was, excuse me, um, a little bit of chaos uh, at, at the meeting as schools were trying to jockey for what they wanted and, and how they were going to approach this. You know, was this the right plan? Were they going to, were some schools going to support something else? And ultimately at that annual meeting, after a lot of discussion, quite a bit of chaos, a long, long meeting, uh, going through Robert's Rules of Order, which govern the, the association and the annual meeting, you know, is this the right process? Is this the, the parliamentarian process that should be followed? All kinds of different things that came out of that meeting. I, I learned much more about Robert's Rules of Order than I ever had previously, even when I was in high school on, uh, you know, and on part of clubs and and things in, in student government. But uh, ultimately, in 2014, at the annual meeting, they voted to delay the multiplier and send it to committee for further study. Uh, they, the, the WIA then put together a committee, an ad hoc committee on competitive equity. Um, you know, a lot of thoughts and, and discussions about that and at the committee itself, what made sense. And ultimately, in late 2014, that ad hoc committee proposed to advance a success-based formula to address competitive equity. 
Uh, we went through that process again, applying the success factor to past seasons to see what impact it would have. They tweaked it and made some adjustments uh, along the way as well. And, um, you know, a lot of discussion and debate. And ultimately, before the annual meeting in 2015, those Six River schools uh, advanced another petition to the WIA annual meeting because they were not happy. They wanted the private schools addressed specifically, and the success factor um, dealt with all schools. Uh, so they uh, advanced a petition that did get the requisite support to force a reducer, a free and reduced lunch reducer, on the annual meeting agenda. So you had two different proposals on the annual meeting agenda um, that, in theory, both could have passed and both could have been implemented. Um, at that annual meeting in uh, 2015, they uh, rejected the multiplier again. They rejected the reducer. Um, there was a, a, a move at the meeting to um, replace the success factor on the ballot with the multiplier. So again, that the multiplier failed um, substantially. The success factor did not get voted on. The reducer failed. Um, next, because they had voted down the success factor, because that's what had come out of the, uh, the ad hoc committee in 2016, they brought the success factor back around to see if there was support for that. And that actually garnered, of the different proposals, that garnered the closest vote, but ultimately did not pass um, the, uh, the membership. Uh, that was turned down. The uh, vote there was a, a pretty close one. It was 221 uh, against 198 supporting. So again, the, the closest of, of the multiplier, the reducer, and the success factor. Uh, along the way, there was also a proposed rural-urban plan for uh, basketball specifically. That did not get approved. And so it just kind of it was status quo, obviously, for a long time, and there was um, there was plenty of uh, discussion. It, it, the discussion didn't go away. Um, in fact, in uh, in 2019, there was a member pe uh, member petition uh, that would have um, created what they would call what they call the division allocation formula which would have used free and reduced lunch neighbor, uh, numbers with a, a success factor. Um, ultimately, that did not get supported either. So roll back around to 2021, when the uh, WI again decided to tackle this uh, again, uh, where they put together this competitive balance ad hoc committee that has been working the last uh, nearly 18 months and put together the success factor um, out of that discussion, uh, or excuse me, the uh, competitive balance plan out of that discussion. Um, the one that was passed at the annual meeting, the uh, competitive balance plan includes two different parts. And we've talked about this before, but um, you know, the first part of it is a performance tournament performance factor, which is very similar to the success factor assigns the same number of points based on where you finish in the state tournament series, um, the, same num the same threshold to meet a rolling three-year total 
that could move you up a division. The change to that, to that though, is that it does allow a appeal process for schools that would have moved up by garnering enough points. It allows them to appeal to not have to move up. And that appeal would go to a uh, still to be, be formed, to be formed classification committee. The second part of the competitive balance proposal was what um, what I kind of term the self-identification uh, part of it, where schools can opt or, or request to go down a division based on where they feel they are at and where their program is at, and that's on a team-by-team -team basis. If they feel they, they cannot compete in a certain sport in the playoffs, they can request to go down, and that will be reviewed by the classification committee as well. They have to um, provide justification and rationale and data to support their request. Um, so a couple different parts to this whole process, and that's where we are today, is the, uh, the vote did pass, excuse me, um, that, that membership vote. It passed a little higher than I thought it would, to be quite honest with you. I was thinking my, um, my estimation, um, based on, you know, just kind of reading the room, if you will, the last few months and, um, you know, just where the vote has gone in those past, um, discussions, I thought it would be maybe 52, 48, 55, 45, somewhere in that range. Um, but that was quite low. The vote was nearly two to one. Actually, it was over, uh, excuse me, yes, nearly two to one. It was about 70% supporting. Uh, a total of 265 schools voted in favor of the competitive balance plan, and 155 schools voted against. It is important to note, and this was uh, part of discussions I had with a number of schools over the last uh, you know couple weeks and, and months, including at the annual meeting and leading up to the annual meeting, heard from a lot of schools that are ones that have, have pushed for something to be done around competitive equity that were not really pleased with this plan. They did not, um, they did not see this as addressing the root issue, which in, in their minds is public versus private. That's, that's the only way that they frame it and the only way that they look at it in a, in a lot of places, especially at the small schools. They do not see it as anything other than public versus private. Um, and again, this, this proposal, the competitive balance plan, does not have anything different for public schools versus private schools. It applies everything equally to both public and private schools. Um, the success factor, or the performance factor, can move up public schools just like it can move up private schools. And so it, it didn't... It wasn't what some schools wanted, but there was a sense among those same schools, many of, many of those same schools, that if this didn't pass, if this competitive balance plan did not pass, then there was not going to be any change for a long time. This would be a, a referendum telling the, excuse me, the WIAA and the rest of the member schools, if it did not pass, that the status quo is okay. And, and there would not be any revisiting of this topic for a long, long time. So there was a sense among many of the people that I think voted in favor of this plan that even though they don't like this plan necessarily, they wanted something. And I, I think over the last you know decade of all of these different proposals that have been brought forward, multiplier, reducer, success factor, division allocation plan, 
rural urban plan, you know, I think there was just, it, it kind of just beat down some people that, again, didn't really like this, but said, well, we'll do something. Let's try something. And I think even some schools that were against, obviously schools that were against the multiplier and these other plans in the past came around and voted in, in favor of this one. And again, I, I think part of it might be they just kind of got wore down of, uh, of the constant debates around this, this, uh, this topic and decided to give something a try. Uh, I should also note, very important to note, that this will not apply until the 2024-2025 school year. So the uh, the tournament performance factor points they will they start that three year running total with the 2021-2022 school year. So the uh, points that you earned in that year, the points that you earned this year, 22-23, as well as the points that will be earned next year, 23-24, will determine the schools that will have the tournament performance factor applied to them. Um, a few other notes, and, and we, we talked about some of these things and asked these questions of Mel Dow last week on the podcast, but schools cannot move up more than one division in a given year. So if they were, let's say a school was in Division Four for football, and they met the threshold to move up, but in the, that year that they were supposed to move up, their enrollment moved them up a division as well, they're not going to move up two divisions. You're not going to go from four to two you can only move up one division. Uh, so that's that's an important part to note. Um, again, the, the point structure for uh, for how teams accumulate points is, is referenced in the article, referenced on the WI website. You get four points for winning a state title, three points for runner-up, two points for um, either being a sectional final champion, depending on the sport, or finishing third or fourth place at the state meet. If it's a, a points-based, non-bracketed sport, um, and then you get one point for, uh, for non-bracketed sports, you get one point for qualifying for the state meet. And in bracketed sports like football, basketball, soccer, softball, baseball, etc., you get one point for advancing to the state quarterfinals or the sectional final, or in football, it would be level three. Um, other items that are noted, uh, you cannot move down a division. If uh, because of somebody else coming up, if you have uh, earned any tournament performance points in the previous three years. So if you're the smallest school in D3 and there's a D4 school that has to move up because of the tournament performance factor, if you're the smallest school in D3 and you have one point from the, uh, the success factor or performance factor points, you can't go down. They will go and then take the next smallest team that does not have any performance factor points. Um, important to note as well that uh, in the process where schools can request to move down, if those are granted, depending on the sport, depending on what the bylaws of that sport say, that could mean that other teams do have to move up. So if 10 teams are granted the, the request to move down from Division Four boys basketball to Division Five, that means that 10 schools would then uh, potentially have to go up. Um, the and it's the next ten largest schools. It doesn't matter if that school has attained any points. It doesn't matter if they've attained zero points. It not that does not apply in that situation. 
Uh, again, you can only move up one division uh, in a year. Um, so, <coughs> excuse me. Um, that's kind of the nuts and bolts of the plan. There are some things that I am not huge on about this particular plan. Um, and I'll start with the performance factor. And I've said this before that uh, right now it's a three-year window that they look at to determine the points and to determine whether you move up. I would prefer that had been a five-year window that they looked at because to me, a five-year window with a, a large enough number of points, and obviously you would have to adjust the point thresholds accordingly, um, a, a five-year window to me says more about the dominance of a program than does a three-year window where it could be one class that gets you to state two years in a row that could cause you to, to get enough points to move up. Um, I, I understand, and this has been a complaint of a lot of people in the comment sections on our Facebook page and on replies on Twitter, um, that they feel, people feel, that the performance factor punishes schools for success. It punishes schools... Um, perhaps for you know one dominant group that could be followed by a, a team and a program that is not in the same place. Um, you know, there, I've seen comments of you're punishing seventh and eighth graders for how good the senior class was. I understand those arguments. Um, the reason that I like the idea of the performance factor is that. All of the other previous proposals that tried to address competitive equity did so through the lens of the variables that go into why teams are successful. Obviously, the multiplier looked at specifically public versus private. And as Jordan Sins, the co-chair of the committee, uh, the superintendent at Wisconsin Heights, said, not all private schools are the same as other private schools. Not all public schools are the same as all public schools. There is a varying degree of um, opportunity for success within each of those categories. Um, you know, Bangor, which is located just outside of La Crosse, is not necessarily the same as Ithaca. Um, similarly, Assumption or Regis are not the same as uh, Wayland Academy or Eau Claire Emanuel Lutheran. They're not the same either. Um, the reducer, the free and reduced lunch reducer proposal, the, um, you know, some of the other things that have been talked about, rural urban even, they look at very, you know, just one part of what makes teams successful. And to me, there's a lot of variables that go into what makes a team successful. I think the number one determining factor of whether a team is successful or not, especially over an extended period, is the quality and consistency of coaching. To me, that's the number one thing. Um, but it's hard to address all of those different variables, the socioeconomics of a school, the geography of a school, how close they are to a center of population, what kind of resources are available for out-of-season training, the um, participation rates in a school. The, all of these different things that can determine whether a team is successful or not, it's hard to, 
to to account for all of those different things on the front end where again you're talking about inputs and you're talking about variables for why things are successful so i like the idea that instead of looking at trying to evaluate on all of those different variables which none of the plans did uh, look at all of the variables just look at the outcome if a school is having a high high amount of success over an extended period then they they are in a position where they are in a better position than schools that have been struggling for a long time um, so I like the idea of looking at the outcome the output instead of the input and the variables uh, so I like that part of it. But again, I would have preferred a five-year window for the t tournament performance factor. Which gets us to the next part of it, um, which is the self-identification, the opt-down, the request uh, opportunity for schools to move down. I, I have some concerns about how this could be used and potentially how it could be manipulated by by teams and by schools, um, and maybe not even you know nefariously on their part, but just people are looking for opportunities for their teams to be successful. And we don't know. There's a lot of unknowns with this part of the plan, and we we talked to Mel Dow about that last week. That we don't know how many teams will opt will request to opt down as part of this uh, this this part of the plan. Um, which, by the way, does not apply for football. You cannot opt down in football because this all has to go through review. It has to go through appeal process, and there's just not enough time with the way the playoffs are structured for football for this to uh, for this to happen. The tournament's factor points still apply in football, but the opt down does not. But uh, again, we don't know for for boys basketball, let's say, which is just one of of the you know sports that this is applicable to. We don't know if there will be 100 teams that opt or request to move down. We don't know if there will be five, if there will be 10. We don't know what um, leniency, I guess, is, is the way to put it, that the, the classification committee will use in approving these, uh, these things. If, you know, let's say they get 20 requests in boys basketball to move down. Are they going to approve 18 of them? Are they going to approve two of them? Like how many, how many teams are actually going to uh, be applicable for this uh, opportunity to move down? Um, you know, I could see situations where a team loses to the same team in the playoffs, maybe in regionals, you know, two or three years in a row, and, and they feel like they're blocked by going up against a good program. Why not ask to move down? Um you know, the committee could get hundreds of, of requests across all of the sports and, you know, why not ask to move down? Maybe they, maybe they say yes. Maybe you can provide rationale, rationale about your socioeconomics and, you know, your demographics and things like that, 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 uh, that is approved, even though, you know, you've, you've been in a position where maybe you, you, you could be, or, or have been a little bit competitive, um, I just see a, a possibility for schools to ask to move down in situations where maybe they don't really need to. Uh, I also don't like the idea that the boys basketball team at a school could ask to move down because they are they were you know they've got ten wins in the last three years, 
the girls basketball team is really, really good and is, you know, performed well and in everything, but the boys basketball team hasn't and they asked to move down. To me, if you're successful in one sport or, or, you know, maybe a couple of sports, it shows that your school has the opportunity to be successful. Um, but if your girls basketball program has had the same coach for 10 years and has great investment in the youth program and, you know, does things in a, in the, the proper way and has built a good program, but your boys team has had three coaches in four years, there's not any, you know, consistency in the youth program. It's, it's internal issues that are causing that program to not, uh, you know, perform well. I don't think that that situation should allow a team to move down. If, if it's internal issues, why, why should they get to move down? So I almost feel like the opt-down should be at the school level, where your school across all athletic programs has struggled significantly. It's not to say if you have one good program out of the entire athletic program that you can't ask to move down or, or whatever, but again, to me, if if you have a good amount of success in some sports, um, you have displayed that your school and your your situation can be successful. So just because you have a program that's not very good doesn't mean they should get rewarded, if you will, by moving down. Again, I think it should be um, you you know, you have internal issues that you need to address before any external factors are are looked at. And this is a similar argument to conference realignment. You know, we I, I, I see this and, and feel this way a lot of the times that's that, you know, there's places in, in schools and teams that ask for realignment as if that's going to be a panacea for fixing whatever problems they have when a lot of the problems they have are internal. Again, three coaches in five years, no consistent youth program, um, you know, just not an investment in the program at the community level. Those are internal issues that should be addressed internally and should not be looked at to the WIAA to solve your internal problems. Again, there are absolutely schools that have challenges that are not in the right spot for conference um, you know, alignment. And you understand why they would ask for relief, but I just think that there's a lot of situations in this particular part of the competitive balance proposal, in conference realignment, whatever, that the issues that schools are having are internal, and they need to look internally to fix those issues instead of looking for help or a bailout, almost, if you will, from the WIAA. I think there's a good chance to uh, to take a pause for a moment and also remind everybody out there to help save lives on Wisconsin roads. The life you save might be might just be yours. Make the commitment to yourself and passengers that are with you by buckling up and putting the phone down every trip, every time. To find out more, take the pledge at wisconsindot.gov. We spent a good amount of time talking about the competitive balance plan, um, what it is, what it does. Uh, you know my my thoughts and views on it. Some of the things that I've heard from other uh, other people as well. Why this passed? You know all all that good stuff. Uh, but there were other items on the WIAA annual meeting. And before I get to those other items, I just want to note that in the uh, coming days, likely sometime next week, we will put together and, and redo the analysis that we had done of the performance factor portion 
of this plan to look at actually what it would, you know, what an, an impact would look like now. Again, this is not being applied for uh, another school year, the 24-25 school year, but we can at least get an idea of where things stand right now in each of the sports. When the committee put together this plan, they did not look back and apply the tournament performance factor to past seasons across the sports. And in fact, that was something I heard from from people that were interested in, in what was going on. We did that. You can find that on WSN if you want to look back before we get a chance to update. But um, the uh, we, we will go through and update that and look at where things stand now. But again, next year, 23-24, uh, that, that year, that sport year, will apply towards the accumulation of performance factor points. So we don't know for sure all of the teams that would move up in 24-25, but we do know some. If you've accumulated six points in the last two years, guess what? You're going up, regardless of what happens in the next school year. So look for that uh, next week sometime on WSN. But again, there were other items on the annual meeting agenda. Uh, several of them went uh, dealt with, excuse me, transfers and eligibility, um, and several of them passed pretty significantly and one uh, failed narrowly. The first one that passed regarded senior transfers, where a, uh, in the past, if a senior transferred without a full family move, they uh, could not participate, certainly at the varsity level, and they could not participate in games at the uh, at the J or at the non-varsity level. This change, which was passed significantly, affords the opportunity for transfers without a full family move, the ability to participate at the non-varsity level, which is the same uh, opportunity that is provided to 11th grade students. This is a great move, in my opinion, because it provides opportunities for kids to participate. It's not at the varsity level, but at least a kid can be part of the team. They can get in the game. They can uh, develop those relationships. It's hard enough to transfer sometimes, you know, just by itself. And sports and activities are a great way to integrate a new student into your school building and into your community and providing them the opportunity to, to be a part of some team, even at the non-varsity level, I think is a good thing. As uh, Wade Lebecki always said when he oversaw eligibility for the WIAA, he wanted to find ways for kids to be eligible within the rules. Um, nobody likes to see kids have to sit out. You understand rules have to be in place so that things are not abused, but this is an opportunity to get more kids the ability to compete, and that's a, a good thing in my opinion. Uh, the uh, Another one that passed uh, dealt with um, tournament substitution, where if a team advances in the tournament uh, and is unable to continue for whatever reason, whether it's um, a violation, whether it's a uh, communicable disease situation, whatever it might be, the team most recently defeated may return and replace that team. Previously, if there was a violation, um, you know, there was, there was things that allowed that to happen, but this, uh, why not have somebody else continue in that tournament series? Um, it gives everybody more games if there are teams that have to uh, be removed from the playoff series. So uh, I, I like this, uh, like this change. And it, it kind of went in, uh, in when, when things happened with COVID where teams would drop out of the playoffs and, you know, they, they didn't have uh, full brackets. So again, 
why not have the most recently defeated opponent replace that team? And that passed overwhelmingly as well. Another item that passed was regarding coaching contact. This change uh, kind of clarifies things for incoming ninth graders, where previously incoming ninth graders could be coached in the summertime by the varsity coach and the JV coach, but not by the freshman coach. But that led to a lot of, you know, led to a lot of questions and concerns. Well, we don't know what level these freshman kids, these incoming ninth graders are going to participate at. We don't know if they're going to be on the freshman team where our freshman coach can't work with them now. We don't know if they're going to be on JV or varsity where they can. So this uh, this essentially just makes things easier and, and clarifies things and, and is the right move. Voted overwhelmingly to support where all coaches at every level, including the freshman coach or JV2 or whatever it's called at your school C team, uh, can work with incoming ninth grade students up until the first day of practices uh, for fall sports or the first day of school for other sports. Very common sense change that again passed substantially. One constitutional amendment that did not pass dealt with transfers and participation. Um, I, I think it's a good idea. I think the schools for the most part feel like it's a good idea, but there was a little bit of uncertainty with how it was described and, and, and how the applications would work. I expect and hope that it's brought back around because this would, again, give more opportunities to kids to be able to compete. What it would have done, it would have allowed transfer students who don't qualify for unrestricted eligibility um, normally through the normal uh, transfer process, it would allow them in a sport where they have never participated prior to transferring, it would allow them unrestricted eligibility. So, for example, I go to a big school. I've never tried to play basketball because I knew I was, wasn't going to make the team. I wasn't good enough. But I transferred to a smaller school uh, for whatever reason, and I said, hey, I want to play basketball. Well, this would have allowed me, in that case, to be eligible to play right away because I've never played high school basketball before. Um, again, I think it's a common sense thing. If, if a student transfers and has never played a sport before, they're not transferring for sports. They're transferring and going out for a sport they've never tried before because they just you know want to give something a chance. It is sport by sport. So if I transfer and I have played baseball before, I'm not given baseball eligibility. But if I transfer and I have never played basketball before, this would have given me basketball eligibility. There was a little bit of concern about that part where students could be eligible for one sport but not another. The big hang-up, though, I think, was the wording of the rule. The, the specific wording is a, the proposal was a student who transfers without participating in a sport, school or non-school, may have unrestricted eligibility in that specific sport. Note residence rules still apply. There was a lot of discussion and a lot of questions from the member schools when this came up for vote at the annual meeting about um, how do you identify non-school? And the response from the WIA was, well, you ask them. Um, the, you know, there was concern about, well, what if a student lies to you? And the WIA's response was, then they are ineligible. And if you use an ineligible student, then you have obviously consequences that your team uh, can face. So I think there was some current concern from schools and athletic directors that, uh, you know, if they, um, if they have a student that isn't 
truthful with them or if they miss asking that question that it could put their team's eligibility in uh, in jeopardy. There are other situations, there are other rules that apply that a student has to, there, there's no there's no waiver of rules for schools just because a student or the parents lie to you about something. So this isn't, that part of it isn't different from other rules of eligibility necessarily, but I think it kind of scared the schools a little bit. There was also a question about when does this start? If a kid played seventh grade basketball, does that apply? The response was no, it's only nine twelve. Um, but again, there was a little bit of concern with how it was worded and understood. I think it's a good rule. I hope they bring it back next year and I think it could pass because it was very, very close. It was 192 against 189 supporting. Again, hopefully they bring it back and hopefully it's passed next year. That was the one constitutional amendment that was not passed by the association. Um, I will tease a little bit that there are some items coming up soon WI related that I think people will be very interested in that will garner a, a considerable amount of discussion uh, related to uh, winter sport tournament and season regulations. Those winter sports uh, obviously were completed uh, over the last couple months and the coaches advisory groups for those sports have gotten together and put together things that they would like to advance for consideration through the WIAA committee process where it'll go to um, the sports advisory, to the advisory council, to the uh, board of control potentially, go through that process. Those are voted on at the June board of control meeting. And I think there are some things that will be very interesting for people that have come out of those meetings. We will have, in fact, I, I, I hope to have it next week, maybe early part of next week, kind of a, a roundup of what, especially basketball, uh, is going to be proposed and uh, and on the agenda going through that process uh, for that June meeting uh, for consideration. So I'll, I'll I'll tease that a little bit. Also, the uh, the WIAA earlier in the week at on Tuesday at the April Board of Control meeting did uh, did have some items on the agenda there. The biggest one being final approval for football-only conference realignment. And it's always a contentious process. It's always something that, you know, people are going to be upset about, understandably, because of, uh, of how that process works and people wanting to move and, and all that good stuff. The On Tuesday, they gave final approval to plans that we already knew about, we already had in place, um, you know, whatever, they they weren't surprises necessarily, but they did get final approval um, to some, some changes. It does keep Pewaukee in the Classic 8, which is the big one that a lot of people struggled with and, and had issues with. Um, so good or bad, that's what's going to happen. And, and those will be implemented in the fall of 2024. If you're interested, you can head over to our article, um, the, the WIA article uh, release out of that meeting to see the entire plan, see where your team's going to be. Again, it's 2024. This is all stuff that was discussed and uh, given initial approval on previously. This is just kind of final approval 
for uh, for some of these proposals. So uh, again, be sure to check that out. Uh, let's see what else is going on. We did also this week announce the updated WSN Cup standings after winter sports. Not surprisingly, Arrowhead leads the way in the large school division. Notre Dame is on top of the medium school division and Xavier on top of the small school division. You can check out where things stand in the WSN Cup, uh, either on the WSN Cup page or perhaps by uh, looking at the article where we uh, break down and, and have full points assigned for all of those uh, all of those schools. Um, pretty good race in, in most of those uh, divisions. The large schools, Arrowhead is on top. Um, Middleton's still in, in uh, you know, closing distance. Then a little bit of a gap there between uh, Middleton and Hudson, who's in third place. The small school level, Xavier is ahead. Aquinas is not far behind. McDonald Central, I think, still in the mix. And then the medium schools, though, Notre Dame has opened up a pretty substantial lead. It's not over and done with. Edgewood, with a huge, huge spring, could potentially get back in play. But uh, again, you can check out the uh, full um, standings for... Uh, where things fell in the winter sports and where things are at overall at wisports.net. I think that'll do it for today. We're going to, we're going to wrap things up again. Uh, I'll tease a little bit that we have some things coming out next week related to uh, proposals for winter sports, specifically basketball that you want to keep an eye out for. And uh, otherwise spring sports are finally, finally getting underway in earnest a little bit more. We're, we're getting slightly better weather it is kind of um, depressing in a way that we have started to talk about 55 and mostly sunny as nice weather this far into April, almost the end of April. You know, we, we would like to be seeing 75 and sunny as, uh, as our nice weather, but uh, we'll take what we can get and hopefully things stay dry. Hopefully we can, you know, get back to um, the, the nicer weather that we would uh, that we would hope to have. So, uh, but again, that uh, that'll do it. I think for uh, for today's episode of the WSN podcast. As always, we want to remind you to help save lives on Wisconsin roads. The life you save might just be yours. Make the commitment to yourself and passengers that are with you by buckling up and putting the phone down every trip, every time. To find out more, take the pledge at wisconsindot.gov. Well, that will do it for today's episode of the WSN podcast. I'm Travis Wilson. We'll see you at a game.